John chapter 1, verse 35 through 42, Christian Standard Bible. John chapter 1, verse 35 through 42, Christian Standard Bible. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And when, G, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, talking about John the Baptist. And the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? Which is crazy when it's the very first words we hear from Jesus in this gospel, and it's a question. What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the, the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Or, and he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas which is translated Peter. Taking my question from verse 38, as we start our new series, Questions That God Asks, what are you looking for? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, we give you honor. We give you praise. We give you all the glory. Thankful for these kids that showed us how to worship, for the energy, love, and sincerity that was flowing in the altar. God, help us not to lose that. Help us to I become so accustomed to your presence that we become nonchalant in it. God, help us when we walk into this place that we, we know we have a cross-section of needs, but God, help us when we walk in here to know that whatever the need is, that it'll be met when we encounter your spirit. God, help us as we embark on a new series to not just mark them off as Sundays on a calendar, but God, help us to ask these questions to ourselves, the, the selves that we don't show anybody else, the, very most inner part of who we are, where we wrestle with the questions that you ask us. God, help me to say a bunch in a little bit of time. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Everybody said amen. amen. The gospel of John is drenched in language of looking and seeing. It says, I saw the spirit, John says, after a dove descends on a newly baptized Jesus. And again, I myself have seen and testified Look, here is the Lamb of God, he tells the disciples the next day. Jesus, the Bible says, turns and sees those same disciples and invites them to come and see where he's staying. And later, Andrew tells his brother Simon that he has found the Messiah. The passage ends with Jesus looking at Simon before renaming him. Looking, seeing, finding, our faith revolves around these actions. The gospel opens as John the baptizer sees, testifies, and humbly allows the disciples to leave so they could follow Jesus. And then Jesus then invites those same disciples to keep looking, to come and see. But the first, he asked him a zinger question about seeing, a question we would do well if we ask ourselves. What are you looking for? Some translations and say, what do you want? But I picked this translation because it just seemed to speak to me. What are you looking for? It's the first recorded question Jesus asked the disciples, and I believe it's a question for the ages. What are you looking for in, in your heart, in your secret and quiet places? What are the hungers that drive you forward in your life of faith? 
Why do you still have skin in the game of this thing called Christianity? As another year is racing to a close, what are you hoping for, asking for, looking for in your spiritual life? Do you even know? Are we looking for anything or just going through the motions of a religious life we inherited from our parents? We go to church because Carolina is the Bible belt. It's the buckle of the Bible belt. Are we doing it just because our parents did and our grandparents did it? Or are we seeking consolation or maybe affirmation, belonging, maybe certainty? Are we looking to gain power or to surrender it? Are we looking to arrive or to journey? Jesus is the answer. Do you remember that bumper sticker? Jesus is the answer, which caused me to want to run out of my car and ask the driver, but what is the question? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. When I read the Gospels, I often get frustrated on how little it feels like Jesus does actually answer. Instead, he asked 307 questions to be exact in the New Testament. That's a lot of questions for someone to answer or for someone, or someone who's supposed to be the answer. 180-something, 187 questions were asked of Jesus, and he answered only three. I got a problem with that, Jesus. You, you ask a lot of questions, but it seems like you're not answering a bunch of them. It just, it just, I read the Gospels, and I get frustrated. His questions were hard ones, too. They weren't easy. We all know that there's some questions that are asked that only have one possible answer. Men, for example, if your spouse asks you, do I look good in this outfit, there is only one answer to that question. Can you say amen? Uh, but instead, Jesus asks questions that invite pondering, that encourage contemplation, that don't lend themselves to easy answers. If Jesus would bam, manifest right now and say, Shonda, what are you looking for? Do you have an answer? I don't know. I, it depends. If, I hope he asks you first. At least I can think of mine. Because like Kendall was saying, depends on what day. And I'll tell you what I'm looking for. See, after all, the word question has the word quest in it. And Jesus' questions invited his listeners on a journey towards discovery both of self and of God. The reward of that journey is that we might discover something about ourselves that we never knew. The risk of that journey is that we might discover something about ourselves that we never knew. That's the risk of Christianity. Come and see. Maybe I'll find out something about myself that I never knew. Yeah. Or maybe I'll find out something about myself that I never knew. That's the risk it takes. Are we willing to answer Jesus' questions? I suppose it's no surprise the disciples who first hear the question, they simply dodge it. What are you looking for? Hey, where are you staying? No, 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 no. I don't know what it's called in English, but I call it annoying when someone answers my question with a question. Hey, where you want to go? I don't know where you want to go. That's not what I asked. Hey, what you want to eat? What you want to eat? I just, I get itchy. I break out in hives. Stop asking questions when I ask a question. I want an answer. And so I have problems. There's tension in the text when Jesus asks questions and he doesn't answer. It's even more tension when people come up to him and Jesus is now speaking in verbal three-card Monty. I don't know what he's actually saying. Will you please just tell me, Jesus? See, but I don't think people really know what they're looking for either. The Huffington Post said... They did like a, a, a review, a research paper on, on the 10 things people want in life but can't seem to get. You want to hear them? Just say yes because I'm going to do it anyway. 
First one is happiness. They said the biggest thing, number one, people want but can't seem to get is happiness. Their biggest challenge is not knowing what I want to do. The second biggest challenge was, or the thing they wanted they couldn't get was money. The challenge was not having enough money or time to accomplish the thing I want to do. The third thing that people wanted the most but couldn't seem to get is freedom. Their challenge was having the freedom to find my true purpose or being excited about the day-to-day work that I have. The fourth one was peace. They said, the thing I want is peace. Everybody's writing it down. I was like, this might be a question on Wednesday. <laughs> people are no longer listening to messages. They're just taking notes like in school. You can't write down everything. You can't highlight everything. That's not taking notes. You can't highlight everything. The fourth one was peace. The biggest challenge is lack of clarity about who I am and my purpose. The fifth thing that people wanted the most but couldn't seem to get was joy. And their biggest challenge was how to find the right role or position for me now that will work to bring, or to bring joy in my work. How about balance number six? Things people want, can't seem to get. Biggest challenge was balancing my need and desire for flexibility while making enough money and having the benefits I want. And that sounds like difficult how about fulfillment? Am I naming anything that someone in here might want and can't seem to get? Fulfillment, biggest challenge, utilizing my potential in the best possible way for myself and for others. Number eight, the biggest thing of the top 10 things people want, can't seem to get is confidence. Biggest challenge, feeling like I have something to offer now rather than feeling constantly as if I'm not ready and need more training. Number nine, stability. Biggest challenge, figuring out what to do next to keep me afloat, to be a bridge to my later years in retirement. And number 10 was passion. Biggest challenge, overcoming feelings of ineptitude and negativity because of career setbacks. Wow, happiness, money, freedom, peace, joy, balance, fulfillment, confidence, stability, passion. All these things people want, can't seem to get. And disciples have God manifest in flesh saying, what, North Carolina English, what y'all want? And instead of answering the question, they do the annoying thing, and maybe they don't know, but they ask Jesus their own question, where are you staying? Which when I read the first time, I'm like, man, that is, that's cheating. That's, if I was talking to all male, I would say, that's the sissy way. That's a, don't take the sissy way out. Answer the question, man. But I see I'm talking to a mixed audience, so I'll keep preaching. See, when I think I'm, if you look at this text a little bit more, I think it means exactly where are you heading? It's not like, hey, you had the best Western. It's deeper than that. What it is is where and how and with whom are you aligned, Jesus? What will my home, li- home look like if I hang out with you? What's our final destination as your potential followers? Tell us up front. We need to know so that we can pin you down, locate you, and understand you, Jesus. They wanted to know before they gave up John the Baptist and, and, and they saw Jesus, the Lamb of God, and Jesus said, what do y'all want? Now they're starting to weigh what they have and what they could, might get from Jesus. That's not good English, but you know what I mean. Where are you headed? What can I get from you? Exactly what am I going to do? Because I don't know if I want to trade John for you, Jesus. Aren't you glad that we don't weigh options? Should I give my life to Jesus? And, uh-uh. Aren't you so glad we're past that? Hmm. Jesus' response to, the second, to their question is a maddening one, concrete and elusive at the same time. Come and see. That's not what I asked you. I asked you where are you staying. You could have said, you know, I'm down there. I, I'm down the hill. You know, I'm at the Marriott. 
you know, the new one. Then he said, come and see, which is to say we have to follow, follow Jesus all the way home if we want to know where he is and what he's about. You, he won't be pinned down. He won't be able to fit in any box that we try to stick him in. He's not the type who remains static. Jesus moves. And at times, he won't be easy to seek and find. In short, that path that leads to him will become clear only when we decide to walk it. They wanted all the answers up front. They wanted to know, what can I get from you, God? If I worship you, if I follow you, if I become your disciple, tell me all the goodies. I want to know all the features now. Jesus said, come and see. What's basically saying Christianity 2020, almost 2021, is, is you don't get to see until you start walking. You don't, you, I'm not giving you all the benefits up front. You're not buying a phone, man. This isn't a TV player. This is we're not negotiating with Spectrum. You got to come and see if you want to see what you're going to get. You have to come and move and walk with me. See, the question that we must ask ourselves at every turn is what are we looking for? Are we looking for Jesus or something else? This, this, is, this is rough. This is not a, this is not an elbow at Kendall. She said it and I'm not elbowing her. So if it seems like an elbow, it's just duck. People come to church for all kinds of reasons. Candy, coffee, friendship, I'm lonely, and there's people there. And chips. Chips. That's my son. I just, I'm sorry. I do the best I can. Just another dad trying to make it in the world. People come for all kinds of reasons. They're single, and they want a good girl. Or they want a good man. All the good men are gone. But, uh, but do we come to church because of Jesus? You'll know if you come to church because of Jesus. If you get frustrated and stay at home because you're frustrated, you don't come to church for Jesus. You come for other reasons. If something bad happens in your week and you want to pout and your Bible is about this far out and you decide to lay out a church but you go to work on Monday, you don't come to church for Jesus. <laughs> if, I had, if I could play the piano, I would jam on you right now. We come to church for all kinds of reasons. We come to church because, man, it, it, it's, it's going to be Thanksgiving and Christmas. And before COVID, we had all kind of food. I love food. Me and food, have a, we have a weird relationship, but I love food nonetheless. But I don't come to church for food. I love y'all, but I don't come to church for y'all. I love, I love to see all my friends and all my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I don't come to church for them. I love my family, but I'm not coming to my, because my wife wants to go. All that, nothing wrong with all that stuff, but I come to church because of him. I come to church to worship him, to get closer to him, to be changed by him, all this other stuff. I love y'all, but you can't change me. Now, you, you might try, but you can't change me, and I can't change you. But if his spirit gets on me, I promise the spirit of God can do more in one second than you can do in 10 years of counseling. I promise you, I don't come to church for anything else but him. I don't come to church because I'm the only guy with the microphone. I come to church because of Jesus. So my question is, what are you looking for? <sighs> looking, seeing, finding. These are things that we're called to do not once but over and over as Christians. This is the heart of discipleship, not to rush to the end of our search, but to pursue it ever more deeply and intentionally, to cultivate a willingness to look, a willingness to see and be seen, a willingness to tell the truth about what we found, a willingness to venture forth again even we don't know where home is. The invitation to come and see is an invitation to leave our, our comfortable vantage points and dare to believe that maybe, just maybe, we have been limited and wrong in our, in our certainties about each other, about God, and about the world. To come and see is an approach all of life with a grace-filled curiosity. 
That is a very, those are two questions. One question, well, I guess it would be another question. Two very hard statements. And we're in the first chapter of John. What do y'all want? What you're looking for? And come and see. Jesus says, I won't tell you. I want to show you. But the only way you'll see it is if you walk with me. Man, it makes it tough. See, I, I, I just think that if we approach life with this grace-filled curiosity to believe that we're holy mysteries to each other, worthy of further explanation or exploration, to come and see is the end of the joy of being deeply seen and being deeply known, and to have the very best that lies hidden within us called out and called forth. It's crazy. But that come and see, Steve, that come and see, if, if they would have turned back, they never would have saw. We would have never read anything else about those two disciples. I don't want to be, uh, this sounds terrible, but if I'm looking at myself in biblical context, I don't want to be a guy that nobody writes about. I don't want to be the guy that turns around and says, no, I'm good, dude. I'll stay with John the Baptist. I don't want to come and see. I don't ever want God to offer me something, but because of fear, I refuse to go forward. Or because what somebody might say about me or what my friends or my neighbors or my family will say, I don't want to be the guy that was never written in Scripture because he turned away. Of course, seeing is always selective. We have choices when it comes to what we're looking for, what we prioritize, what we name, and what we call out in each other. The selves that we present to the world are layered and messy, and it takes both love and patience to sift through those layers and find what lies at the core. But there's great power in that sifting as well. Something healing and holy happens to us when we're deeply seen, known, named, and accepted. What are you looking for, Jesus asked the two men. I believe they were looking for much more than a place to sleep and a quick cup of coffee. I believe what those two disciples were truly looking for what was themselves, who they were. Because this is what they call pancake preaching. I can dog them to disciples. Now let me flip it over and paint a better picture. If you don't like that one side, I'll flip the pancake over. You see, they were looking for a new understanding of who they were. Apart from the way that their society defined them, lower class, blue collar, manual labors, riffraff. Maybe they weren't just trying to figure it all out and try to test the waters with Jesus. Maybe they were actually looking for something. You know, maybe they wanted to be known for who they truly were, not for their jobs or their family history or their own mistakes. They were longing, searching, yearning to be known. And Jesus offers that gift. Jesus has the ability to look at us and know us, like the real us, not just for who we are of who we're created to be. Jesus looks at Simon and says, Simon, you're going to be called a rock. Peter probably thought, me? Rock? Does this guy really know me? I mean, one day, basically, Jesus said to me, he says, hey, JT, uh, you're going to be called pastor. <laughs> me? Does Jesus even know? But see, that's the thing. Jesus knows you, not just for who you are, but for who you were created to be. That's the craziest thing. We talked about it years and years ago, is that the devil attacks you on your level of anointing, not where you are right now. So he's not going to, and the only reason I'm, I'm, I'm using his name, because Mason, Mason will preach me. Mason's like, yep, and he's sitting forward. So Mason, when the devil attacks you, he's not going to attack the Mason right now, the one that's trying to juggle family and job and church and all that stuff. He's going to attack you according to your anointing. He's going to attack you because I, I don't know, I don't have Bible for it, but I believe the devil can see the exact same thing that God can see, and 
he can see who you are going to be, not who you are. And he's scared to death that you're going to reach that and so attack you on your level of anointing. And you want to know why everything is coming down on you and your family. It's not because you've done anything wrong. It's because the devil's scared to death that you're actually going to make it and be what God says you're going to be. That's the power. Make me preach up in here. <laughs> That's what it is. Jesus knows who we are, who we're created to be, not who we are right this second. Jesus doesn't see us with all our faults and our failures. He sees us through the lens of faith who we're actually called to be. And he says, Simon, you're going to be called, or Peter, you're going to be, Simon, you're going to be called Peter, which means a rock. You're going to be a rock. I know you're wishy-washy now, but you're going to be stable. You're going to preach the first message of the New Testament. Peter, you're going to preach Pentecost. And Peter says, me, I got an attitude problem and I'm half angry and I like to cut out people's ears and all kind of stuff. No, no, don't worry about that because I'm calling you on who you're going to be, not who you are. So it doesn't translate well in English, but five times in the passage, John uses the Greek word meno, M-E-N-O, which means stay. Like when the men say, where are you staying? They came and saw where he was staying and stayed with him all day. Jesus offered them a place to stay, a place where they could remain, a place where they could become known in a way they weren't known before. Jesus offers the same invitation to come and see. When we come into this place, we're invited to sit, to stay, and to remain. But we're not invited to stay the same. Through this gathering, through this worship, through these songs, we are changed, transformed from who we were when we walked in to nothing less than the people of God. That's what's crazy. I wish we could get this. That no matter what you went through or what you did Monday through Saturday, when you come into this place, God already knows. Don't come in with condemnation. No, I can't really worship good this week because I, I did this and did that. When you come in this place through worship, not only does it transform our feelings, but it transforms us. We become the people of God. We were created to worship him. That's the beautiful irony of the question Jesus asked, what are you looking for? What we're looking for ourselves, and when we come here to find that, we end up finding Jesus instead. It's so funny. People walk into church and go, look, my marriage is on the rocks, but maybe just maybe I'll give this church thing a try. They'll walk in, not only get their marriage fixed, but meet Jesus in the, in, in the meantime, in the process. In the process of finding Jesus, we find ourselves. It's I had no purpose. I had no direction. I come in church, and Jesus began to transform me and do things in my life, and now I have purpose and clarity and direction. Why? I don't know. I can't explain it. All I, all I did was come into church. I tried to get closer to God. Now I can actually see who I'm supposed to be. What are you looking for? But it's not ourselves as we see us, but as Jesus sees us. You know those carnival mirrors? You remember them carnival mirrors? When you stand in front of them, it's like, mm, mm. They make you look a lot skinnier and taller to distort your image. That's what Jesus does for us. When we see ourselves through Jesus, we're not skinnier and taller. We're holier. We're more divine. We're, that's what I think that's what we're looking for. We, 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 look, we are looking for the true version of ourselves refracted through the lens of God's vision of us. That's what I, I, I know it's a terrible analogy, but the, I, I, carnival mares, kids love them, adults love them. I don't care if you're walking your kids through there, I bet you look at the mare. I mean, every, and he says, that, that can't be me, but that's the image that's going back. Same thing what God does. God shows us an image of, of us, and that can't be me. God, I can never live like that. I can never be like that. No, 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 I know, I know, but that, that's, that's what I'm showing you. 
what I see. See, we're looking for a place where it could be known, where we could remain, where we could receive some understanding of who we are. We're looking for a community that welcomes us, that accepts us, that knows us, yet still loves us. We're not perfect here at C3, but we strive to be a place where people can find what they're looking for. Today's gospel story, it's not just about our seeing. At its core, it's about what Jesus sees. Story about Jesus' way of looking and about what becomes possible when we dare to experience his gaze. Jesus looks at John's disciples and calls forth their hunger, their curiosity, their hope, and their trust. He looks at Simon and sees Peter the rock. He looks at us and sees what lies beneath the fumbling, the fear, the mixed emotions, and the doubts. Each of us, in other words, benefits from a second look and a third and a fourth. To offer the second look, that deeper, kinder, more penetrating look is grace. It's the gracious, gracious vision of Jesus, and it's the vision we are called to practice in a world that too often judge and condemns at first glance. Is there anything after all that feels lonelier than, this, than the experience of being unseen, misunderstood, and prematurely dismissed? Is there anything more life-giving than the experience of being seen for who we really are, deep down beneath the fragile defenses we hold up out of fear? I ask again, I don't have any points. Todd, I tried. I tried to get like three points in a poem or something. Good. I got one point. What are you looking for? I'll, yes. I got one point. It's a nail, and I'm going to beat on that nail for about another six minutes, and I'll let y'all go to go eat. But that's all I have. Every week is one point. What are you looking for? Well, ask yourself. Don't ask yourself in public. Don't, don't ask somebody else what they're looking for. Ask yourself first, what are you looking for? I invite you to ponder the question the next time you come to church. Are you looking for community? It's here. Are you looking for inspiration? It's here as well. Are you looking for forgiveness or a new start? It's here. All that is here because Jesus is here. Not because I'm here with the microphone, not because we got great singing and great preaching and kids that know how to worship. No, 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 no. What, what it is, it, it's, it's here because Jesus is here, beckoning us to come and see, becoming known to us. I urge you to come here looking for something because if you come looking for nothing, I'm afraid it's exactly what you'll find. You ever hear people say, when I give, I don't expect to receive anything. There's a Greek word for that. It's called dumb. God said, given it shall be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God says, I want you to come with expectation when you give. Coming to church with no expectation, same Greek word, dumb. Why would you come to church to be in the presence of the God of the universe and not expect anything? How could you ever, how could you... you you can't go anywhere. You, you can like you go to a restaurant. I don't like to go to restaurants, and you can make fun of me if you want to. It's going to be on Facebook, and so everybody can dog me. I like to go to restaurants because I don't want my clothes to smell like I'm a cook. You ever go to a restaurant, you, you know, and all y'all get in the car like, man, y'all smell like food. You can't go to a restaurant and not be changed. How do you expect to come to church and not be changed? <laughs> I, I'm picking, but grandma knows we, we had clouds. We had clouds of popcorn smoke for I don't know how many weeks. You got to wear popcorn garments. You can't wear your Sunday best popping all that popcorn and coconut oil and all that smoke that Rick got going on. Why? You couldn't come in here and not be changed. You smell like the theater. But we come to church and don't want nothing. I just want my same seat and hopefully pastor won't preach past 35 minutes. 
And I'm afraid that's exactly what we get, the same seat, the same short message, and we walk out of here and go to the same car and have the same problems and we have the same attitudes and the same anger issues because we're not changed, not because God's not here, it's because we're not expecting anything. I don't ever want to come to church and not be expected. I want to come to church and say, God, I got a terrible attitude, but I'm walking in here and I'm going to worship you. And I believe through worship, you're going to help me with my attitude. Or God, there's problems in here. The problems that are going on in my life, they're weighing me down. But you know what? I'm going to lay them at your feet. I'm going to exchange my problems for your grace. God, I'm going to lay my problems at your feet and I'm going to raise my hands. And I believe that you're going to exchange what you have in your hand if I give you what I have in my hand. All the worry, all the problems, all the fear, all the anxiety, I'll give that to you, God. You give me the grace. You give me the mercy. You give me the perseverance. God, you change. Let's, let's make a trade. But coming to church and just wanting to hear a message to go to the house, that's crazy. You can stay home and hear a message. You could turn on TV and hear a hundred preachers better than me. Why would you come here? Because you believe God's in this place. And when God's in this place, he can change. Not because of my words, but because of his presence. Can you say amen? amen. Thank you. I just need to breathe a little bit. That's all. So I urge you to come here looking for something. Jesus invited two disciples to come and see. Come and see who he was. And come and see who they could be. Jesus extends the same invitation to us. And as you stand with me, come and see that your questions are welcome here because a lot of other people probably have the same questions. Come and see that you're a child of God, loved just as you are, and called to be more than you are. Come and see that Jesus is the answer to the questions you bring with you. Come and see. So there's a lot of questions. A lot of questions. 307 of them that Jesus asked. We're going to pick five. We're going to pick five that I think that it should be homework for you. What are you looking for, really? Not this church. Not, not here, but like other churches, like in other states. People come just to soothe their conscience because they feel guilty. They don't really come to be changed. They just come like, hey, I went to church. You know God. God came to change you. Come to save you as you are. He saved you and change you and make you better. People come to soothe their conscience. People come to pacify their spouse. People come because they have nothing to do. But really, what are you looking for? That's the question today. You drove past a lot of good churches to come here. What are you looking for? You could have gone to mega churches. You could have gone to satellite churches. You could have gone to home churches. You could have stayed home and watched church. But you drove out here. Pastor, why are you asking all the questions that all the pastors are scared to ask? Because I'm not scared. You drove past a lot of good churches to come here. What are you looking for? It's my prayer that you find it. Your answer is going to be different than mine. My answer today might not be the answer tomorrow. It depends on my need. But the question we have to ask ourselves is really, when you come in this place, when you come to Jesus, what are you looking for? As Todd sings, can we take just a few minutes? I'm about to have a baptism today. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. Before we rush into the baptism, can we take a few minutes? Can we find a place to pray? 
what you taught the Jesus.